The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 113 The Man That Wasn't 1855, Mississippi Priam and Hecuba were brothers born in the South. Priam was the older of the two. He loved his brother and did everything he could to protect Hecuba, a task that he often failed at because their life did not belong to them. To Priam, the world itself seemed cruel and harsh. They lost friends when they were sold and traded, their mother was beaten, their father was killed, and they had no right to defend themselves. Priam had been warned not to even whisper a word of complaint, or he would be next. They were slaves. The war came. Priam understood somewhere men were fighting. Why? He didn't know. Over what? They would not tell him. But on the plantation where they lived, things began to change. There were less and less men watching them, but the ones that remained became more and more violent, often flying into a rage and punishing him or his brother with no or imagined provocations. Food became scarce, and what they were given was enough for his brother if he went without every other meal. Inside of him his anger grew, his hatred for the men that held him prisoner, his imagination filled with violent fantasies against the bastards that hurt his brother. Priam heard the gunfire first, and then the screaming. He woke his brother. They could both smell smoke, and they could hear loud, boisterous laughter as a man yelled, I set you free! Then there was gunfire. Priam peeked out of the small wooden cabin that he and his brother had lived in. He didn't see anyone, so he grabbed his brother's hand and they began to run. They ran around the shack to try and make it to the backwoods, but as they came around the corner, there stood the man who claimed he owned them. He had a gun in his hand, and he pointed it at Hecuba. Those cowards! They think that surrendering changes anything. They think that I care what some piece of paper says. He laughed, <laughs> holding the gun closer, pointing it at Hecuba. Well... If the law says I have to set you free, then it's time to set you free. He bared his teeth and pulled the trigger. The hammer fell with a click. God damn it! The man complained as he began to reach into his pocket for more bullets. He opened the chamber of the gun and began to put them in, but as he did, Priam pushed him to the ground. Every hateful fantasy, every violent thought, every day he dreamed of revenge on this man. Priam took it, stomping on him over and over. The man screamed and screamed, but Priam wouldn't stop kicking, stomping as hard as he could. The screaming stopped, but Priam did not, not until his brother's hand lay on his shoulder. He's dead, his brother said to him. We should go. Priam looked at him. Suddenly, he didn't know where he was. He looked around, remembering as if he had to relearn what the world was about. He reached down and picked up the gun. He finished loading it and took it with him. We need money. They owe us that. We're going to go to the house and get it. 
Priam didn't give his brother a chance to respond. He just turned and walked toward the house. Hecuba followed close behind. The house was in disarray. Furniture had been overturned, and the paintings had been ripped from the wall. Servants that had worked in the house lay dead on the floor. Priam went upstairs to the bedrooms. Going into the largest one, he could see that it too had been turned over. Everything lay broken and shattered. Priam sat down on the bed in frustration. As he did, he felt the bed shift, and the bed made a sound. Clip-clop, said the bed. Priam stood up again, and then sat back down. Clip-clop, the bed said again. Priam looked down at the floor. There were scrape marks from where the bed had been moved back and forth. He pushed the bed to the side, moving it along the scrape marks, until he began to tap on the floor. Thunk, thunk, thwok. The floor sounded back to him. There was a hollow spot. Hecuba handed him a knife, and he began to pry at the floorboards. He found that they came up easily. And below them, hidden, was money, jewelry, and legal documents. He took the money and the jewelry. He left the papers. Taking the lantern from the table, he threw it on the papers in their hiding spot. The lantern shattered and the kerosene ignited. Priam left with Hecuba as the bed caught fire. Priam smiled up at his brother. They were leaving. They were going to leave the south. He took a horse and buggy from the stable, and he left the plantation burning behind him. He decided to go north, where he and his brother could be free, truly free. But he did not know where north was, and he figured any direction was better than here. So he set out and followed the road. He went west. 1864, San Francisco. Priam took the only job that would hire him, the railroad. He began work helping finish the transcontinental line. At first, they wouldn't allow him to work directly with the rails. Only Irishmen were allowed to do that. But there were plenty of jobs. Priam mucked out the horse stalls, cleaned up after the pigs, fed the cattle, and shoveled their shit. Though he hated the job, they did pay him 25 cents a day. At the end of every week, he had a dollar seventy-five. He bought second-hand shoes for himself and new ones for Hecuba, along with clothes and books. Hecuba loved books. Hecuba was too young to work for the railroad, but he was smart. Priam was so proud of him, so he did what he could to try and help him become smarter. Hecuba watched the men who put the train engines together. He watched them maintain them, and he became a regular fixture among them. They began to use him as a gopher and an assistant. They sent him for tools, water, food, alcohol, whatever they had a whim for. They didn't pay him technically, he wasn't hired. At first, Hecuba did not realize they were taking advantage of him. He was used to working for nothing. 1880, Nevada in time, the railroad began to hire ex-slaves and other men of color, as they put it, when they were being kind. So having experience, Priam was given a promotion and allowed to work putting down rail himself. Hecuba, over time, learned everything there was to know about the trains, and the men who repaired them began to use him to do their work. He would often just find notes saying, fix the brakes on car four. 
There's a bad vent in the engine. Switch out the rear axle on the coal cart. If he did a good job and did not have to ask questions, which he never did anymore, the men whose job it actually was to complete these tasks often tipped him. The money was never the same amount, but somehow always more than what Prime was making. So maybe their tents weren't as good as the white overseers. Maybe their pay was less than what they were making. Maybe their food was inferior, and they weren't allowed into the tent that housed the saloon. But they were being paid, and they could leave if they wanted. They were free, weren't they? One day the train arrived, and out of it poured one hundred Chinese workers. The Chinese workers were given a new section of the camp. They spoke their own language, they kept themselves, and their food smelled different. Not necessarily bad, just different. Priam tried to ignore their presence. 1885, Colorado. The end of the week came, and Priam lined up with the rest of the workers to be paid for the week. There was some argument in front of him, and men seemed upset as they left. When Priam reached the table, the man set before him eighty-four cents. Where's the rest of it? Priam asked. That's it. Twelve cents a day, seven days, eighty-four cents. I make twenty-five cents a day, he explained. It's the new rate, and that's double what the Chinese are making. Twelve cents a day, take it or leave it. I don't care what the Chinese are making, I make twenty-five cents a day. I can lay twice as many rails as the Chinese workers. I've been working on a railroad for twenty years and laying down rail for fifteen of them. I lay more rail than they do while they're sleeping. I expect to be paid properly for that. Look, you don't like it, just leave. You're not a slave. This is the going rate. It's twice what they're making, and you do twice the work. What's not fair about that? Go ahead, leave. We're not paying you 25 cents a day anymore. Nobody gets that. If you leave, we'll hire four Chinese workers in your place. We'll get twice the work done. Same cost. Or don't you understand how math works? This isn't right. 25 cents a day is barely enough to live on, and you want me to work for less? Don't blame me. Blame the Chinese. They're the ones driving down the prices. If they do it for six cents a day, then why should we hire you? You're lucky to still have a job. Damn it. This ain't right. Priam took the money off the table. Priam went back to his tent. He threw the money on his bed. He turned, pointing at his brother. Half. They're paying me half what they paid me before, and it's because of them fucking Chinese. They're ruining everything. It's not like this job paid enough to begin with. Now we have to deal with those fuckers coming in, taking what's ours, and for less. What the fuck? Hecuba waited for him to burn his anger out. He listened and slowly ate from a bowl of soup. Then, when Priam finally stopped ranting, Hecuba set his soup aside. Don't blame the Chinese. They had nothing to do with this. They have everything to do with this. If it weren't for them, I'd still be making 25 cents an hour. Is 25 cents an hour really what you think the job is worth? Hecuba asked. Nah, it's worth way more than that. It's fucking brutal out there. People die. But... You make 25 cents an hour. Why? Why not more? Because that's what they pay. 
No. Hecuba pulled from his pocket five dollars in bills. He set them on the table next to him. That's what I made today. Shit. You're making that much? You make 25 cents a day because that's what you have accepted you're worth. Now they've decided you're worth less. Are you? Are you worth less? No. Are the Chinese workers worth less? If the job itself is worth more than 25 cents a day, and they're not even getting that, then they're being cheated even more than you are. And you're mad at them? Why aren't you mad at the men who are cheating you? Why don't you blame the Baron for what he pays you? Well, he pays me. Do you know why I made five dollars today? Because you do a job no one else can do. Nope. Other men can do it. And they're paid well to do so. I made five dollars today because one day I didn't show up. They had been paying me ten cents, five cents, a quarter here and there. So one day, instead of going over and working for them, I went fishing. I relaxed on the bank of a river we were near. I got a pole and some string, and I sat there all day. I caught nothing. But the next day, when I showed up, they wanted to know where I had been. I was honest with them. I decided the job wasn't worth it anymore. It didn't pay me enough. And I wasn't really hired. I have no contract. I have no agreement with them that I would show up. I told them I appreciated that they missed me, but I wouldn't be back. And I turned to walk away. Fifty cents. The foreman said as I walked away. Nah, keep it, I told him. A dollar. He upped his offer. I turned to him. Per task, I countered. That's ridiculous. He replied. Not really. Each of you usually has something you want me to do. Then you leave it on your list and walk off to the saloon. You gamble all afternoon and you expect me to take ten cents as you make a full salary for the work I've been doing. From now on, if you want me to do it, you want to collect your money without actually having to do any work. I will, for a dollar per task, because each task represents a different man. If you want to keep your dollar, do it yourself. Well, look who's gotten all uppity. No, I said calmly. I just figure a day off, free and clear to fool around doing what you want, might be worth a dollar to you. If not, then I'll just move on. Once again, I turned to walk away, and they let me. They decided to do it for themselves. For a week, I didn't help them at all. I went fishing. You know, I don't get fishing. I could not catch a single thing. What were you using as bait? Bait? You know, what you put on the hook to attach the fish to bite it. You have to put something on the hook? How could you be so smart and so stupid at the same time? I don't know. I never went fishing before. You want to take me fishing sometime? What do you use as bait? Well, I get up early and I dig up worms. Worms? I'm not touching worms. Well, you ain't catching any fish. If I have to touch worms, then my fishing career is done. Anyways, a week later, the foreman came to me. He gave me a list and handed me two dollars. I said nothing. I just took the money and went and did the job. The next day... There were three jobs, and three dollars. They paid me what I was worth, because I demanded it. And they paid me what it was worth, because I wouldn't work for anything less. That won't work for me. If I don't show up, they just don't give a shit. They just hire more men. They just make the Chinese men do it. 
then everyone has to stop working. You want us to go on strike? It's working in the East. The factory workers are taking control of their wages. They are demanding that people who own factories pay them more and give them better working conditions. Unions? Unions. You think the Chinese will go for it? (laughs) They're getting hurt worse than you. They've been taking too little for too long. We need their help, and they need ours. We have to stop blaming each other. That's what they want. That's what the Baron wants. He wants you to blame the Chinese. He wants the Chinese to blame you. You don't think they're being told to work for so little because they're not as capable as you? You don't think that they hear that you do twice the work, so you deserve twice the pay? They hear the same thing in reverse. It keeps us separated. It keeps us fighting each other instead of fighting for our rights. I don't even speak Chinese. That's okay. Luckily, most of the Chinese men speak English. 1886. March. Colorado. It was 10.30 in the morning. Priam took a deep breath and stopped working. He went back to the tent where the tools were kept. He hung up his hammer, his gloves, adjusted his hat, straightened his shirt, and then he walked out of the tent and stood facing the other workers. At first, he stood alone, frightened, that despite their agreement, no one would join him. Then, with solemn reverence, one of the youngest Chinese workers stopped as well, took his tools to the tent, and stood next to him. What the fuck are you doing? Get back to work. One of the white overseers told them as they stood stoic. Behind him, two men stopped working. Then three... Then eight, sixteen, then all of the men finally quit, lined up in front of the tool tent, removed their tools, and stood behind Priam. All of you get back to fucking work, the man demanded. No, Priam spoke up. We will no longer work for what you are paying. That is our choice. If you want us to return to work, then you must meet our demands, or this railroad stops here. More of the white overseers gathered together. They whispered amongst each other, looking up at the tower, looking back at the crowd. Someone had to go tell Agamemnon, and no one wanted to be that person. Priam and the railroad workers stood stoic the rest of the day, and as the sun began to set, they left for their tents. The overseers watched them doing nothing, but before Priam himself could leave, Achilles approached him. The Baron wants to see you. Achilles said with indifference. Now? Yes, now, and alone. Achilles looked behind him at Hecuba. I'll be right back, Priam told his brother. The inside of the office was opulent, and Agamemnon stared out the window with his back to the door. Sir, the union leader? Achilles said, and then he left the office. Agamemnon waited a moment before turning around. Come in. Sit, he instructed. Priam walked over to the chairs in front of Agamemnon's desk. No, not there. Sit here. Agamemnon pulled out his own chair, the one that sat behind the desk, and instructed Priam to sit in it. Nervously, he went around and obeyed, sitting in the large throne-like desk chair. Agamemnon went to his wet bar and poured two drinks and brought them over. He handed one to Priam. It was cut crystal and beautiful. 
He'd never held a glass this fine in his life. How does it feel? How does what feel? Sitting in my chair, behind my desk, trying to run my company. I'm not trying to run your company. All we want is to be paid what we deserve. And what makes you think you get to decide what you deserve? Because it's our life. We're the ones that built this railroad for you. We're the ones who risk our lives in the tunnels with the dynamite. We're the ones who can stop it. It's our lives, so it's ours to decide what it's worth. You get to decide what it's worth when you run a company of your own. This one is mine. This is my kingdom, and you work for me, you understand? You and everyone out there are mine, and you will do as you are told. Agamemnon slapped the glass out of Priam's hand. It flew against the wall and shattered. Priam stood, anger burning through him. You should be very careful. I killed the last man who made me call him master. If you want to live, you will respect my freedom. I am not yours. I belong to myself. And if I choose not to work, then I will not work. If the men who also work for you choose not to work with me, then that is their choice. Until you respect that, we stop here. No track will be laid, no path will be cut. We are stuck here on this mountain. We will not move one inch. You can sit behind my desk, and you can drink my whiskey, but you will never tell me what I can and can't do. If you and your men don't want to work, then you're fired. I will replace you. I will have a train full of men here in two days, and no one standing behind you today will ever work for this railroad again. No, you won't. There is no one else. As of 10.30 this morning, every railroad worker in the Southwest has stopped working. We're not alone. It's over. You will respect us, and you will meet our demands, or it's over. Every railroad worker west of Chicago stands behind me. Get out! Get out of my office. Tomorrow morning, be back at work. There is no deal. There will be no agreement. I will be held hostage by no one. You think you can take my profits from me? You think I'm going to give you a job out of charity and kindness as I make nothing while you take everything? Fuck you! I am not going to let you demand a job at your rate while you remove my ability to produce that job. This is madness. Get back to work or you will regret it. This is your last warning. You don't get to pretend you can't pay us more. You can't bring me in here, have me sit on your throne, drinking from your crystal, and stare at your gold surrounding you. You can't sit in opulence and pretend to be a pauper. You have taken advantage of us for too long. I have been a slave. And do you know what it taught me? It taught me that when the men who run the world decide there is no place in it for you, then it no longer matters whether or not you burn the world to the ground. Priam walked out of the office. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. 
except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.